This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 units sold mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. In the last episode, number 14, you learned how Sean Wycliffe used affiliates and movie theaters to build deal flicks to $240,000 a month in revenue. And you're really going to be surprised at what he says at minute 13. Okay, our guest today is Daniel Vitello. Now, Daniel is an entrepreneur and co-founder of Hand Ground, the precision coffee grinder developed by thousands of coffee lovers all around the world. They raised $309,000 on Kickstarter using a very unique pre-launch strategy that played really heavily on Instagram. We'll get to that in a second. So, Daniel, the Top Tribe is here. They're ready to learn from you. Are you ready to take us to the top? Let's do it. All right, man. Good stuff. First off, anything in your bio that I missed that you think the listeners need to know? Um, no, I think that covers it. For okay, now. great. So tell us a little bit about Hand Ground. Why, why, you know, why start the business and uh, what's it do? Yeah, so Hand Ground is a manual coffee grinder. And we developed it out of our own frustration with the existing grinders on the market. Um, a couple of things that are different about it is it has a, the handles actually mounted on the side. So when you're grinding the coffee, it's a more ergonomic motion. And the second big thing that's my personal favorite is there's a coarseness adjustment ring, which lets you choose different coarseness levels with one twist. And they're predefined, so you can always get to the, the coarseness level that you're looking for. Or some of the competitors, they have a, um, it's sort of like a nut on a, a bolt and you have to spin it. And so you it's hard to get back to a setting that you've been on previously. Got it. Now, I remember, you know, we spent time together and almost died on a sailboating, you know, journey out on the Catalina Islands in Santa Barbara. And, you know, we wake up one morning and our anchor stuck and the freaking waves and there's a cliff and it was scary. But I connected with you a ton there and and you were already thinking about this idea then, I believe. You, I mean, you're, you're, you've had some successes already kind of in, in your kind of entrepreneurship life. Was this your first uh, venture into a physical, an actual physical product? Um, it's my first time creating a physical product from scratch and going through the manufacturing process. Uh, some of my previous businesses were buying, uh, existing cell phone replacement parts and selling and distributing those. Um, and we, we did a couple small, uh, physical products like a modification for the proximity sensor on the iPhones, so that they were working when the first iPhone fours came out and uh, another product for fixing water-damaged cell phones, but nothing as complex mechanically as, as this coffee grinder so far. So I don't even know where to start because I'm a, I'm a software guy. Everything I think about is up in a cloud somewhere, and I don't even know where the cloud is. So how did you, like, how did you find a manufacturer to actually start making this, this, you know, this product you built? Yeah, so finding a manufacturer, we're, we're manufacturing in China, and um, the language barrier makes it very difficult uh, and there's no really sort of like central organized place you know you can go on Alibaba and see tons of potential manufacturers but finding someone who's actually going to 
to work with you to deliver the product is a challenge. And for that's what we've heard from a lot of people. Um, we initially started what we what, what seemed like the best advice was to get a referral from someone who's worked with someone there before. Um, so we started working with a sourcing consultant and he was kind of running which, around. Which consultant was that? Just in case listeners are thinking about doing their own products. Yeah. So his name is Don Craig and uh, Don's a fantastic guy and he's helped out. Uh, Ratio is a coffee brewing device with their glass and uh, manual number one is another coffee device that was on Kickstarter. And he helped them out. They had uh, complex glass products that uh, he helped them manufacture. Um, but with Handground, we were doing uh, a product that has a glass bottom. It has uh, ABS plastic top. It has uh, acrylic hopper. It has ceramic burrs. There's uh, stainless steel axles that drive the burr mill. And then there's gears that come together. So there's actually about nine different materials that make up our product. Hmm. And we were looking, we decided to look for someone with more experience in doing a complex consumer good. And that's when we landed on Platform 88. And what is uh, that? Is that a website? So Platform 88, they're a, a startup and um, their vision is to build a, they're almost, you can think of them like where projects go after Kickstarter. Uh, so, so they've been manufacturing in China. Their their co-founders have been manufacturing in China for over twenty years, and um, they've seen this problem of all of these companies and startups launching a physical product on a crowd crowdfunding website, and then they turn to China to get it manufactured, and they run into tons of trouble. And you see this happen with all the project delays that are happened to almost every Kickstarter project. So, Platform eighty eight basically solves all that pain. Exactly. They Got have it. a team of engineers, sourcing people. Um, they have relationships with retailers, with distributors, uh, legal, um, and they're based in Shanghai in China. And uh, they have a fantastic team. So uh, we've been really happy working with them. Well, we'll certainly link to that in the show notes at nathanlatka.com forward slash the top. Now, Daniel, I, I can kind of hear listeners begging for me to ask this. Walk us through, again, you had a hugely successful Kickstarter campaign, pre-sold $309,000 worth of these things. Walk us through, like, how'd you think about the Kickstarter page? How'd you get traffic to the page? How'd you start building that audience? So we started thinking about building our audience for Kickstarter and driving traffic for Kickstarter almost from day one of starting to work on the project um, because we knew that uh, if we just built this coffee grinder and put it on Kickstarter, um, or our assumption was the chance of success would be much lower if we just put it up and hadn't built any uh, people or found any people who were excited about it before we launched. So um, right when we were starting with the initial concepts of the idea, we, we started an Instagram account. And um, at the time, we didn't have an actual grinder, so we couldn't post pictures of the grinder. But my dad had this collection of uh, coffee mugs with animals molded into them uh, because he's, a, he's been a zookeeper and uh, we just always had a love for animals. So... We started posting pictures of our progress on um, developing the coffee grinder and then also posting uh, different coffee mug pictures with these animal mugs just because we thought that there would be a similar audience. That's so smart. And so what did you grow that audience to by the time, you know, by the day that you actually launched your Kickstarter landing page? 
Yeah, so we we're telling our, our story through Instagram and engaging with a lot on Instagram, and there's a direct correlation uh, between the engagement that you are actively putting out and the amount of engagement you receive back, like the new follows and the likes and comments you receive back. Um, by the time Kickstarter launched, I believe we had 5,000 followers on Instagram. Okay. And, and uh, yeah. And did you, so was Instagram the primary traffic source to your Kickstarter landing page? No, uh, the primary source was actually email. Um, oh, okay. And what we did was we launched, so we launched Kickstarter in February, February 2nd or 3rd. Um, but in December, we started a pre-launch campaign. And what the pre-launch campaign did was it said that um, for 30 days, we were going to hold this pre-launch campaign and we were going to give away the first 25 hand-ground grinders that are made. Um, and so what we did, then started doing was we would invite, we were direct messaging every single follower on Instagram. Because if, if you're following an account on Instagram and they send you a direct message, you actually receive a notification. Yep, yep. Yep. So we, uh, by hand, Brandon and I direct messaged 5,000 people, uh, inviting them to the pre-launch campaign. Um, when the person received the direct message, they would click the link in there. That would take them to the pre-launch campaign page, and they would enter their email. Once their email was entered, it what, took them what to the What percentage of the 5,000 actually went in and entered the email? Um, or how many total? We don't have the conversion rate on that. It was the actually the click-through rate. Or, or maybe just like the total. How, how big did you build your list bef in, in the December using the December pre-launch campaign when you gave away 25? Right. So I would estimate maybe like 25 to 30% okay. went through to the um, campaign page or the pre-launch page and signed up. But what happened was um, the kicker is once they entered their email, it took them to the next page that said, you have one entry to win one of the first 25 grinders. And then below that, it said... Friends don't let friends drink pre-ground coffee. <laughs> and it said, share on Facebook for 10 more entries, share on Twitter for 10 more entries, and here's a unique URL. And every friend you get to sign up with this unique URL, you get five more entries. Ah, uh, got it. Was there a tool you used to, to put that page together? So we built it off of, on um, Harry's, the razor company, they did a post on Tim Ferriss's blog about yep. their pre-launch campaign. Um, I'll link to that in the show notes so you guys listening can can capture that as well. Yep, and their code's on GitHub, but there is one thing I would like to point out that we changed. Um, Harry's, they used a linear rewards model of uh, their their prizes. So if you share, if you got five friends to sign up, you get a razor. If you get 10 friends to sign up, you get a razor and shaving cream, uh -huh. right? And that applied towards everyone. Okay. Uh, since... Our product was higher cost. We decided to go for a lottery style reward mechanism. And uh, I believe that worked fairly well. And so that's where this model was. You have one, you know, you have one entry to win out of X possible entries. And well, so, you know, we, Daniel, real yeah. quick, what was your price point on that? Just so people comparing it to Harry's can understand the price difference. Yep. The price point. So it comes in two models, uh, plastic and uh, nickel. And the plastic is, was it 55 on Kickstarter? And the nickel was 75. Got it. So you, you 
basically using this referral model, the pre-launch, the hustle and grind to direct message 5,000 people on Instagram. You got an initial swell of people, then incentivize them to bring in their networks as well using a lottery style referral mechanism as opposed to linear, which is what Harry's did. And then I mean, over what period of time did it take you to to get your first three hundred nine thousand dollars in pre-sales on Kickstarter? That was in thirty days. Wow, I, that's incredible. That's amazing. I remember watching it. Just like, I mean, I think I like pooped myself twice. I mean, it's <laughs> like, it's just like, holy cow, this guy daily is crushing it. I mean, this is amazing. So let me ask you: Have you been able? You know, a lot of people say, well, crowdfunding, then people don't like actually deliver the product. And I know there's people still waiting to get their Pebble Watch. Were you able to deliver all that stuff? And have you gotten now more sales outside of the Kickstarter three hundred nine thousand? Right. So um, I'll answer the question in two parts. Okay. Um, the first part, or the latter part of the question, was uh, sales after Kickstarter, and um, I think this is something extremely important that a lot of Kickstarter projects don't do. Is um, and this is something if if you want, you can link on our page where uh, right at the top, and you have to do this before the campaign actually ends because you're not allowed to edit it once the campaign is finished. Um, but you can actually insert a image that says uh, available for pre-orders on our website, order here, and link that image to your wh- whatever short store you want to use. We use uh, Shopify. Smart. And uh, so we, we, had, we put that up about an hour before the campaign actually ended, so that once it ended, it's still up there. And that's uh, been driving sales every day since the campaign has ended. And when did the campaign end? How, how back was it in March? Well, March, March sixth. So I think. it's now it's now what July? March, yep. July. So what is that? So, so over five months. How many? Uh, you know, how much revenue have you guys done post Kickstarter? Um, we haven't publicly disclosed our revenue post Kickstarter yet, but um, sales every day. What about what about so? So volume of customers, what, what about that? I mean, have you, has it, has it been, well, let me ask this. Has it been more, has, have there been more sales post Kickstarter than there were during Kickstarter? No. Okay. But, but you've basically set up systems like the image at the top of the Kickstarter page that where you're driving essentially momentum and sales every day. Exactly. Got it. Yeah, we haven't, we've been, so since the Kickstarter campaigns ended, we've been a hundred percent focused on product development and working with the, our engineering teams. Um, and it's, it's interesting that that's taken more time than we expected, but the product now is also, uh, I would say an order of magnitude better than where it was when we launched Kickstarter. If you are loving this episode, you will love episode number eight, where we talk to the head of strategy at GoPro, responsible for taking them from $300,000 a year in sales to $300 million in sales. And to celebrate the top tribe, I am giving you guys the chance to win a GoPro and my top three favorite business books. In order to win, simply text the word Nathan to 33 Again, N-A-T-H-A-N to 33444 for your chance to win hundreds of dollars in prizes every week. The first one is a GoPro and my favorite business books. It's amazing. I mean, the success you've had, you know, you started with Instagram, 5,000 followers to an email list to a referral system to 390 grand in sales. It's really, really amazing. So I think people you know, the top tribe listening can take a lot from that, especially those thinking about physical products or crowdfunding. Daniel, it's time to get into my favorite part of the show. Do you know what time it is? 
no, what time okay, is well, it? Okay, what well, what number comes after four? Five. Dude, it's time for the famous five. Are you ready? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right, what is your favorite business book? My favorite business book, I think, has to be Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, the understanding or the amount of research that went into that book, and it was kind of like an entire life's work um, to understand the way our brains work, really has personally given me a lot of insight to help me kind of second guess, or not second guess, but just take time to think on why am I actually making decisions and try and uncover cognitive biases from influencing me. All right, great. Number two, is there a CEO that you are following or studying right now? Um, Elon Musk, I think, has been uh, the CEO that I've been paying the most attention to over the last course of the last few months. Um, he's just doing incredible things. And uh, Larry Page as well recently. Great. Bo bo both extremely popular choices. Um, Number three, what is your favorite online tool like Evernote? I would say Trello. It's what we use to stay organized and do all of our task management. Okay, great. And we'll link to Trello in the show notes along with all the other great links you've referenced uh, here in the episode. So number four, Daniel, how many hours of sleep do you get each night? I get at least eight hours. I don't set an alarm typically in the morning. So uh, my body kind of and I go to sleep if it's within, you know, a varying three to four hour period in the evenings and uh, wake up about eight hours later. Got it. So, so, you know, more and more people are giving that answer in past episodes and they all have different reasons. Internal time clocks, it's natural, it's less abrupt. So it's more flexible. So uh, interesting there. Number five. Now you're what you're 24, 25, 23, 24 recently turned 24 yes 24 so this question's a little different for you but if you wish your 20 year old self knew one thing what would it be oh this <laughs> <laughs> uh one one good piece of advice that i read recently or uh kind of came across was that all problems or problems are inevitable it's almost like a law of the universe um but all problems are sol soluble so I don't know. That's uh, my little two cents. What does that mean? I failed chemistry, and I remember that damn question on the test. It was like, "What soluble mean?" And I failed it. You know, there's like an E, none of the above, and that was the answer. What what does what does that mean? Uh, it means that there's a solution to any problem, or um, you know, you can. Another common one is in every problem, there's opportunity. Got it. Got it. I love that. Well, dude, look, you're on a you're on a rocket ship. You're you're dealing with manufacturers in China. You're trying to find eight specific materials to build this top of the line uh, coffee grinder machine, which is just amazing. Uh, if people want to follow your journey, where can they connect with you and follow you online? So uh, on Instagram, which is where we're most active, it's just at hand ground. Uh, and if anyone wants to reach me directly, they can email me at daniel at handground.com. Well, dude, 24-year-old entrepreneur who's crushing it, building the world's top-of-the-line coffee uh, co coffee grinder, $309,000 in finances or pre-sales on Kickstarter. Dude, you're crushing it. Thank you so much for taking my audience to the top. Yep, my pleasure. Nathan. All right, Daniel, take care, man. See ya. Coming up in episode number 16, you're going to learn from Jordan Gray and how he grabbed impressions from any blog he wanted using a certain phrase and sex strategies. 
This podcast is produced by Oration Recording and is sponsored by Eddie Communications and Roanoke, Virginia's Grandin CoLab, the premier workspace for entrepreneurs and growing companies. 